thank you for the testimonies tonight. We thank you for your great provision there at Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church. And Lord, we just thank you for answering prayers, for caring about us, for keeping us safe, for protecting us. Lord, we're thankful that your goodness does not depend upon our prayers, but it depends upon your being good as God. We thank and love you for caring about us and watching over us. And we're thankful that we can trust you even when bad things happen. And knowing that you're still in charge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we've got one more. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to continue on in our study on how to witness... You've got to talk to people. That's what Jesus did to the woman at the well. He dealt with many, many issues. And uh, last week we talked about the person of God. If someone is not willing to believe what the Bible says about God, you you cannot take them any further. Uh, And uh, that's what Brother... um, Skeen was referring to this morning is uh, in witnessing in an atheistic society such as was the former Soviet Union. You've got to start at the beginning. People just don't even believe in the concept of God. They're foreign. It's a foreign idea to them that there could be a creator. And uh, that's what the account of Genesis is there for. You've got to start at the beginning. If a person will not understand who God is and that He is God, what God is, I mean, there's everybody has the understanding of what a God is because there are just many of those. Uh, in fact, uh, the actual term would be better, demigod. Uh, that means a little God. And, and of course, uh, we have... So many of those in our society today, people who believe that they have the right to rule over others and tell everyone, I mean, sounds like some of our presidential candidates, amen, uh, uh, you know, want to tell everybody what to do. And uh, if uh, Bernie Sanders gets elected, don't worry, he'll take everything and we'll all have nothing. Uh, That's what communism is all about. Uh, and, and those that have lived under communism know it's giving the government control over everything so all of us can share in nothing uh, because that's all that's left. And uh, it's, it's a sad day, but we will continue to pray. But when we witness to people, we have to be careful because something that has to happen before a person can get saved is they have to understand about their personal Sin. I would dare say that most of us in this room know of someone who has allowed guilt or responsibility for their sin to destroy their lives. Uh, if if we could come up with a um, uh, a serum that would cure guilt, we could empty the psychiatric wards and hospitals of this nation. I mean, that's one of the primary things that just uh, destroys people's minds and their understanding of, of life. And yet, 
Let's go to Romans. Keep your finger here in First, Second Corinthians seven, but let's go to Romans chapter three, and we'll, we'll kind of introduce the the subject there. Your Bible was written for a, a reason. It was written to help us understand, to uh, develop this understanding of of guilt that we are guilty. Uh, I thought of of trying to bring out, as often in our speech, we use the difference between guilt versus conviction. But you look up the words in the dictionary, and uh, they are extremely... uh, Conviction is a public statement of guilt. Uh, and, And so you can't really do that honestly with the English language. Those words are connected to each other. And so we start here in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now, how many people have you heard, well, I've always loved God. Or I've always had a God consciousness. I've always been with God. Well, here's what the Bible says. Nobody's there. You know, the human memory is an incredible thing. It rewrites history. No one remembers accurately. You either remember it worse than it happened or better than it happened. Uh... Uh, unless you have some means of recording what actually happened, your memory will enhance the event. In fact, there are people that have listened to other people's stories to the point to where they have lived them in their own mind so many times that they tell the stories about themselves as if they were the actors in the story. And, And there are people that can actually pass uh, lie detector test because they believe something in their heart that it really happened when nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, we have a whole realm of uh, psychology that goes back and helps people remember things that never happened. And... Uh, It's all called suggestion, subliminal suggestion. They suggest things. It's part of of the process that happened to many of our military personnel in Vietnam when they were taken prisoners. uh, By the North Vietnamese, they would uh, plant things in their head and they would keep repeating that until they destroyed their ability to remember what actually happened. Don't ever... Depend on your memory. Write it down. But even then, how many of you have written stuff down and still forgot it? Set alarms. I mean, you do everything. And you're going to let your eternity depend upon your memory? If we could borrow a biblical phrase, I trow not, you better not do that. That, that is... That is really sad stuff. Don't, don't allow yourself to go there. There is none that seeketh after God. 
Here's what the Bible says. And, and boy, this is uh, right out of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. They are all gone out of the way. I'm being sarcastic. I'm sorry. Uh, they are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. How many of you needed to be told that you were guilty before you got saved? That you just had no understanding of your personal sin. I mean, every once in a while, I'll run into somebody like that, but it's fairly rare. Most of us understand that verse 23, if you go down another four verses there, for all have what? Sin and come short of the glory of God. When I was traveling with Brother Clayton, I was responsible for uh, the children's ministry, and we would always have a time where we would get together with the uh, people in the church that would be working with us in, in the children's ministry. And one of the things that we would explain is, is, you know, being careful in witnessing to children. Because any little child that's honest at all, if you went up to them and said, uh, have you sinned? Oh, yeah. Do you need to be saved? Yeah. Do you want to be saved? Is that salvation? No. Salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And you have to be careful with those little ones that you don't just walk them through a prayer and call it salvation. And I've had children over the years, they'll come forward and say, are you a sinner? And they'll look at me with big eyes and say, oh, no, Mr. Pete, I'm not a sinner. Well, Jesus only came to save sinners. If you're not a sinner, uh, you can't be saved. Oh, okay. And then they walk back to their seat. Um, It's really sad, but I've met a few adults like that. The adults are being dishonest. The children just haven't grown up enough. Amen? And you need to be able to tell the difference. I'll tell you that the knowledge of sin is a very dangerous thing. It's going to do one of two things in your life. It's either going to drive you into the arms of the Savior... Or into the arms of the devil, one of the two. And so as we witness to people, we need to pray about this. We need, to add, we need divine wisdom and direction. Uh, that's why the greatest thing that you can do to prepare yourself to tell other people about Jesus is read 
your Bible so that you have it inside. The Holy Spirit cannot help you remember something you did not study, that you do not know. The Holy Spirit's not going to give you information that you do not have. But if you've been witnessing it all, you will know there are times when all of a sudden a Bible verse just pops right into your head. Oh, where'd that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. The Holy Spirit of God is doing His work in your life. But if you don't read, if you don't know the Bible verses to begin with, the Holy Spirit has a very little reservoir to draw from. But if you will study your Bible, if you will apply yourself and read these things, you will understand. But a person that does not have a knowledge of their sin cannot be saved. They have to understand. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians where chapter 7 and this is what I mean in verse 10 if we'll just look at this it, it gives us the two directions. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of But the sorrow of this world worketh death. Let's look at that verse one more time. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Hell is full of people saying, I'm sorry. I um, just finished some more training that we're trying to get things done and, and prepare for doing the work right at, uh, at the Union Baptist Church. And, and um, uh, would, I took a class on scaffolding this past week. And, and one of the things that our instructor kept pressing over again and again, he said, you put up the scaffolding, it falls down and somebody dies, what good is saying, I'm sorry? I figured if an unsaved man can understand that, and I mean, it wasn't just once, it was, you know, he said, you've got to watch, and and went through all the hazards and stuff, and lifting planks and boards and frames 30 and 40 feet in the air, and all that kind of stuff, and and, uh, you just, you can't make mistakes. Saying, I'm sorry, what good does that do? I've often told my kids, try to, try to make them understand. They're, they're playing, and, and, or they get angry, and one of them will hit another or do something, and, and something a little more serious than what they intended happens. And all of a sudden, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, we live in a world where an apology is supposed to make things right. Does it? This verse right here tells us the sorrow of this world worketh what? Did you read it there? But the sorrow of the world worketh what? Death. 
You see, being sorry doesn't help anything. Now, this is a hard truth. If we were to ask every one of us in this room, we could think of something that we've done that we feel bad about. Isn't that true? Hello? Am I the only one? Don't think so. We've all done this. And and you can sit there and we have two directions we can go. We can sit there and say, I'm sorry. Or we can ask God to give us godly sorrow. It says, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Now, what's the difference between godly sorrow and the sorrow of this world? Well, one belongs to God, the other belongs to the world. Hey, very complicated. No. You see... When I do something wrong, can I go back in time and take it back? I've often changed the little kid's nursery rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will really hurt me. Because that's the truth. Your bones will heal. But the cruel words that people say to each other will be carried for years by other people. Isn't that the way it works? You see, the sorrow of this world worketh death because you can't do anything about it. You can't go back in time and change it. You can't take it away. As our scaffolding teacher said, the guy's dead. You're not going to bring him back to life. Uh, And it happened because you didn't do your job right. Well, we carry a huge responsibility as carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful about our witnessing. But the idea of godly sorrow is this. Jesus did something about it, didn't he? Hello? Can we say amen to that? You see, I'm the one that did the wrong, but Jesus is the one that did something about it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus' suffering satisfied God's Holiness, so that I can be free. How many people have committed suicide because of guilt? How many people have destroyed their lives because of something wrong? And and I've had people, uh, adults in my office sit there, and if you think I'm talking about you, I'm not. I, I have no person in my mind right now, but have said, 
Well, I can forgive others, but I can't forgive myself. Wait a minute. That's the sorrow of this world, my friend. Godly sorrow is what leads us to repentance. That's, that's what the verse says. Right? And Paul wrote the Corinthians. And I mean, you, it, how many of you have read the book of 1 Corinthians? I mean, Paul said some pretty harsh things, didn't he? He said, we're going to take this one guy that was so perverse that he decided to marry his mother-in-law. I mean, crazy, evil people. And he said, we're going to deliver that one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be preserved until the day of judgment. Now, that's not kind at all. And we need to understand that people put themselves in jeopardy when they turn away from the words of God. But it says here that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Look at the verse before it. It says, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorrow after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. I've heard some preachers preach about sin and all of this to a point to where you just felt like, Given up. You could never serve God. I, I've never wanted to preach that way. If I preach against sin, I hope and I pray that you'll want to go to Jesus because He's the only one that can fix it. How many of you have ever sat down and just contemplated what Jesus suffered on the cross. That, that's something good to think about, my friend. And I've heard people say, well, Jesus was God. He could handle it. Well, that's true. But Jesus was a man. He had to endure it. And there was no less pain in his body than in any other human body. But the greatest sufferings of the cross had nothing to do with the nails and the scourging. Had nothing to do with the hanging on the cross and all of the things that Jesus suffered. The greatest sufferings that Jesus suffered on the cross was carrying and enduring the wrath of Almighty God that was poured out on Him so that God could look at me and say, I don't have to judge him because Jesus took it all. You see, that's godly sorrow. Repentance, the definition, working re- definition of repentance, is understanding the horribleness of your sin to the point that you bring it. To Jesus. 
That's repentance. Someone said it's a change in heart that results in a change in direction. Well, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good definition of repentance, and it is. But repentance is bringing your sin to God. It's understanding how horrible your sin is. Read the law. If you, if you have a problem understanding your sin, go through the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 5. In fact, uh, do we have a few minutes? Yes, we do. Let's, let's just go there. We'll be very quickly. But let's just read through the Ten Commandments. Let's just go to Exodus chapter 20. And you ought to know where they're found in case you meet someone who says, I'm trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. Open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5 and say, can you tell me what they are? I, I got them right here. I'm, I'm looking at them in the Bible. Tell me what they are. I'll promise you, I've never met a person trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments who could even give me five of them, six of them let alone all ten. I said, what? you can't even give me all ten commandments, yet you're getting trying to get to heaven by keeping them. You don't even know what they are. That's a pretty sad state. That'd be like trying to give somebody directions to drive through New York City, but only giving them every other turn. How many of you would like that to happen to you? Uh, I mean, you would never find your way out of this city if, if that were the case. And yet, here we go. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment 1. 2. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For thou, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. 
It took us three minutes to read the Ten Commandments. How many of you, as we read those Ten Commandments, thought about something in your own life that was in disagreement with the Ten Commandments? You see, they're God's law. They convict us. You know what conviction is? Is a legal statement of guilt. You are convicted. You have been legally judged wrong. You are guilty. Now what are you going to do about it? I'm going to get every one of you jurors. I'm coming back. No, you're not. You're going to the gas chamber. You're dead. You're not coming back from anything. That's how they do every horror movie, right? The guy comes back from the dead and he's going to do something. No. Not in real life, my friend. You're not coming back. Once you go, you got a choice. Are you going to surrender to God? Or are you going to surrender to the devil? I've had people say, well, you don't know about all the good things I've done. I said, that's right. And I don't care. Because you're not on trial for the good things you did. You're on trial for the wrong things you've done. Amen? I mean... Every once in a while, one of my kids, I'll say, why didn't you do this? But, Dad, I did this. Uh Uh-uh. I don't care how clean the rest of the bathroom is. But this part is really dirty, and it needs to be cleaned now. I I can tell the story here, and and not thinking of anyone in particular, but when we were doing all the work, in the building, I would often joke with the guys that were helping me and say, somebody's going to come in. They're going to see that tile we scraped in the ceiling. And sure enough, somebody walk in. Pastor, what happened to that one right over there? I said, ladder's in the basement. If you want to fix it, be... No, I didn't do that. But... Uh, we often treat God far worse than we would expect from any other human being. You see, when we're convicted, we have one choice. We can take it to Jesus and we'll find forgiveness. Or, we can walk down that dark road and try to take care of it ourselves. How many of you remember Mother Teresa is going to be sainted in August of this year by the Roman Catholic Church? And Someone said, do you have saints at your church? Yes, I do. Yes, we do. Baptist Church, we have lots of saints. In fact, we got more saints than you do. Because every member of our church is a saint. In fact, if they're not, they don't be, they're not allowed to become members of the church. 
we have a saintly church because everybody that's saved is a saint. Amen? And we have lots of priests in our church too because once you're saved, you're a priest. And uh, that's a wonderful thing because you are directly responsible to God. I don't have to hear about all your sins. You see, godly sorrow makes me take it to Jesus. Because he's the only one that can do anything about it. And you know what that frees me from? Guilt. Because he took it. He was judged guilty for me. I mean, stop and think about all the religions you know. Is there any other religion where God takes away our sin by suffering in our place? Usually they offer something like, well, God understands that we sin and He he takes care of it. And I always like to say, yeah, God understands that we sin. That's why He sent Jesus. That's why... Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, because he took care of every sin that was ever sinned. We're talking about sin. A person that is not willing to understand their personal sin debt to God cannot be saved. But we have to be careful how we present that because it's going to bring them to a point where they're going to have to choose one of two ways. They're either going to choose godly sorrow that will take them to Jesus Christ because he did something about it. In fact, he's the only one that could do anything about it. All God's people said. Or They'll try to do something about it themselves. And the Bible says the sorrow of this world worketh death. You know what Mother Teresa said just days before she died? I haven't done enough good works. Isn't that tragic? A person who's known the world over for her good works. And yet, In her dying days, she said, I haven't done enough good works to make myself acceptable to God. She understood. But did she cast aside her church and her religion and her good works to embrace what Jesus had done for her? We have no understanding that she was willing to do that. She died in despair knowing that all that she had done and accomplished wasn't good enough to pay for her sin. How could you get more tragic than that? But let me tell you something. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. People have said over the years, Pastor, I've just got to get some things straightened out, then I'll be back at church. I don't know how to say this. That's the dumbest thing you can do. 
How are you going to straighten out something that only Jesus can fix? You see, godly sorrow worketh repentance. And you know what? When you experience godly sorrow and you come to Jesus, you'll never be sorry again. Amen? Because He paid the price. Now, there's some people out there they get so excited about that. Well, then I can go and do whatever I want. What does the Bible say about that person? It says they have no forgiveness. That kind of understanding is so foreign to the Bible. I remember meeting a preacher one time. He was of a different persuasion. He believed that you could lose your salvation and I mean, I, I'd heard that preachers actually said this, but I, I never expected to hear it with my own ears. He said, if I believed what you did, I said, I'd go out and sin like crazy all the time and just come and ask God to forgive me. And I looked at him and said, what kind of God do you serve? What kind of relationship do you have with God that you would take advantage of His forgiveness and just go do anything you want? I said, the Bible talks about that. It says, God forbid. That's what the Bible says. God's grace is not helped by my sin, but there's no sin I can sin that God's grace cannot cover. Amen? And so, as we're witnessing to people, we need to help people understand, most honest people do, that you have a personal responsibility for sin. That's why Jesus told the woman at the well, Go call thy husband. And she said, I, I, I don't have one. Jesus said, yeah. You've had five husbands? And the implication is that they were all living. And the one you got now isn't your husband? That she was living in immorality? She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know things about me that you have no way of knowing. And what did she do? She went in and told the people of that village. He told me everything that ever I did. I love the way my preacher paraphrased it. He said, God knows everything about me, but he still loves me. You know, that was the message of the woman at the well. You see, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation and you'll never be sorry you trusted Jesus. Amen? If we're going to witness, that's our message. We've got to deal with the issue of sin. took three minutes to read the Ten Commandments. You got somebody that's got a problem with understanding their sinner? Read the Ten Commandments to them. 
People said, why don't you keep the Sabbath day? I'm supposed to keep the Sabbath day every day. Because I'm not to be working myself. I'm resting in Jesus for my salvation. Every day is a Sabbath to the New Testament Christian. Just like, praise God, I've never been in a situation where murder was an option. But you know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Thou shalt not hate. He said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But what did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? Thou shalt not lust. Every one of us is guilty. But if we'll try to take care of it ourselves, it works death. If we bring it to Jesus, we get life. And that life is eternal life. Because Jesus paid it all. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the message of your word. Lord, what we went over tonight is not new to anyone in this auditorium. We know these things. But Lord, let us be reminded of it. And let us take that wonderful message to the world in which we live. Lord, the Bible proves we're sinners. It proves there's no other alternative but to go to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us take that message to the world in which we live. We'll just take a moment here before we say amen. If you need to slip out of your seat, just keep your heads bowed. You can pray right where you are if you want. If you want to come forward, the altar's open. Then we'll get into our prayer time.